This morning, we're kickstarting our brand new series, and I have the honor to do so, as we're going to be looking through the book of Revelation. And specifically, we're going to be studying over the next seven weeks, seven secrets of growth and change that Jesus gives to the churches. And this is a very impactful series as we've kind of been working through it. And there's a lot of amazing things that we can pull through this. And I am super excited about it. And I'm honored to start this series off. But we're going to be starting this morning looking at the church of Ephesus. And we're going to be spending the next seven weeks in chapter two and chapter three of Revelation, just really seeking to hear what God speaks to us. And like I said, we're going to be looking this morning at the first church that's addressed. It's the church of Ephesus. But we're going to take it and we're going to phrase it a little bit differently. We're going to look at what Jesus says to a busy church. And I think this is something that's very applicable to each and every one of us because we live in such a busy society. And it's really important for us to be able to hear what Jesus has already said to a church that was living a busy lifestyle. In 1986, the Nobel Peace Prize recipient, Elie Wiesel, had this to say during his acceptance speech. He said, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. The opposite of success is not failure, it's indifference. The opposite of life is not death, it's indifference. You see, indifference is being not really committed to any one particular thing in your life. It's where you have so many things on your plate, you really don't know what your priorities truly are. And it's indifference that robs us of the joy of our Christian life. And so this morning as we start, that's going to be the main focus we're going to push for. We're going to learn how to keep first things first to prevent indifference from coming into our lives. We need to know how to arrange our priorities or what even our priorities should be in the busy world and the busy lifestyle that we currently do live in. We have to learn how to keep these things that should be first from getting into second or third or even slipping into fourth place. And we need to see how God wants us to have change and growth in our lives through every single one of these things. And something about growth and change that I know to be true from scripture is this, that Jesus loves you very much. And I know that all of us know that because we've heard this over and over and over again in church, and we even have songs about it, right? Jesus loves me. You guys, you know what I'm going, right? You should be thankful I didn't do it. It's a small world. Um, but we have this idea of Jesus loves us, and that is the truth. And we know that Jesus loves us very much just the way that you are. And maybe you're saying, well, you know what, Matt? I don't feel very lovable. Matt, I haven't felt God's love in my life in a while. I haven't felt a connection or a relationship, or I'm currently in a sin, or I just committed a sin, or I've done something wrong in my life. There's no way that God would love me. I don't understand how that can be a truth because God is not present in my life. But the truth of scripture is that God does love you. He loves you so very much just the way you are with this indescribable, this incomprehensible love, and he wants to draw you to himself. And that's the truth of scripture. But something else that I know to be truth about growth and change is this, that Jesus loves you so much, he doesn't want to see you just stay in the same place. See, Jesus knows our busy lifestyles. He knows that things come in from left and right and our priorities become overwhelmed. And he says, I want to see you grow. I want to see you change. I want to see you move off of this destructive path that you're living. And it may be difficult for you to do that, but my love will still be consistent no matter what that I love you so much that I care for you and I want to see you grow and I want to see you change and I want to see you rearrange the priorities in your life to move past the busyness that you think controls every single thing that you do. That's the truth of scripture. 
And when we look at this, we have to assess personally, where are we when it comes to first things first? What are the things that we put as the priorities in our life? We are busy. We are a busy church, but what is the foundation of our lives? What do we put above everything else? And in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus is delivering his message through the Apostle John. And this is where we're going to get our first message this morning. He's writing to the church of Ephesus. He's writing to the various churches in Asia. And these are things that we really can grab hold of and learn ourselves. And so if you follow along with me, we're going to read from Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. It says this, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands says this, I know your deeds. I know your toil and your perseverance that you cannot endure evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you found them to be false. You have persevered and endured for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the deeds that you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of place unless you repent. Yet this you do have. That is, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You see, very clearly from this passage, Jesus makes it evident that there has to be one predominant thing in your life. Above everything else, above anything that's going on in your life, priority or busyness, there's one thing that should be above everything else, and that's me. I'm not saying me up here on stage. That'd be really awkward. It's me as in Jesus Christ. He says, you've got to place me above everything else. I have to be your first love. And it's not some greed thing. He's saying you really need to seek these things because when you do, you're going to find a love you've never experienced before. And this whole entire passage is centered around this one idea that God has to be first in our lives. No matter how busy we are, no matter what we are doing, to keep first things first, God has to be our number one priority in everything that we do. So how do we do that? That sounds good in theory. That sounds great in practice. But how do we really applicably, let's just go with it, make this first thing first? How do we really make God our first priority in our lives? Because that's difficult to do. Well, this morning, I want to give you a couple things to think about when it comes to truly putting first things first in your life. And the first thing I want to bring up is you need to create a time to keep first things first by listening to Jesus, where you really need to have an ear to hear, where you need to be creating moments, you need to be willing, you need to be listening to the voice of God and what he wants to say to you. You see, God is always speaking, trying to tell you the truths of what's going on. But we have such a difficult time listening in this world. There's so many distractions. And we have to be willing to listen to what Christ wants to speak to us. Even John says this in verse 1. says, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands says this. Jesus is speaking. It's not John. It's not some other writer. He says, these are the words of God written to his people, and he wants you to listen. He has a message you need to hear. Even going back to the very beginning of Revelation chapter 1 verse 3, he says, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecies and heed the things that are written in it, for the time is near. See, John is saying it's important. 
John is saying, it's vital that you start listening. You're going to be blessed. You're going to be prosperous. You're going to have all of these amazing things. You're going to be happy when you truly start to listen for the voice of God. But are you listening? Are you creating these moments? We've got to develop an ear to hear and be sensitive to the word of God. And this word, listen, it's used multiple times throughout the Bible in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But the problem is they never listened. And the problem still exists today because we have a difficult time listening. We don't listen. Even looking at the Old Testament book of Jeremiah chapter seven, he says, they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. And they did more evil than their fathers as a result. You see, when we stop listening, we stay sinning in our lives. And I'm going to say that again, because that is so vitally important for us to know this morning. When you stop listening, you stay sinning in your lives. God wants to speak truth. He wants to help you grow. He wants to help you change. But when you push him away, you can't do these things. You become narrow-minded and so focused on the task at hand that you forget about what he's trying to speak to you, the truth that he wants to give to you. And we stop listening and stay sinning in our lives. And it's difficult for us to listen because this world is a distracting world. And we love to practice selective listening, don't we? where we hear the things that are being said, but we really only take in the things that benefit us or the things that we want to hear. But he makes it very clear and says, you need to listen, not selectively. You need to listen to the message that I have for you, to the truth that I want to give to you. But once again, that brings up the question, well, how do we do that? That sounds a lot easier in practice than it actually does to live out. How do we truly listen to God? There's a couple of things I like to recommend to you this morning on how you should listen to God. The first thing we do is we listen to God by finding moments of quiet solitude and reflection in our lives. Whether it be through prayer or spending time in God's word or just sitting in silence, do you have a moment that's just between you and God? I enjoy jogging because I'm crazy, but I enjoy jogging because as I'm out there jogging, it's just me and God where I can run and I may not be getting very far, but I am moving somewhere and I'm thinking through things. I'm rehashing situations and I'm working through things in my head. And I'm saying, you know, God, this is what's going on in my day. This is my life. This is what's going on right now. And it's in these moments when I involve God in this process that I truly start to listen and it's where he says, you know what, Matt? This is what's weighing most heavily on your heart. You know what, Matt? These are the things that you're kind of doing wrong that you probably should go another direction in. And it's in these moments when I invite God into my life that I truly start to listen and he truly starts to speak. And the question I have for you is, do you have a quiet moment built into your life where you listen to the voice of God? We live in such a, a nine to five world where we get up, we race out the house, we go to our jobs, we come back home, we spend time with the family and we go to bed and completely neglect spending time with the Lord. When's the last time you spent five minutes or even 10 minutes with just you and God and listening to what he has to say to you? It's difficult. It's very difficult for us to do because this is the world that we live in. This is the society that's been ingrained upon us. And he says we have to break free from this. You have to be willing to listen to Jesus, to make these quiet moments a daily part of your life. Do you have that in your life? Maybe it's not jogging for you, but do you have time built in? It's just between you and God. And if you don't have this time, another thing I'd recommend is maybe you listen to God through the counsel or the wisdom of the counselors and the friends that are around you. 
where maybe God has been trying to speak to you, but for some reason, you're just not getting it. You're not listening to it. But maybe he knows that there's this one person in your life that you truly do admire, that you respect, that you're willing to listen to. And so he's going to use this person to speak to you in a way that he may not have been able to do elsewhere. Are you listening to the wisdom of counselors and friends around you? Because that's oftentimes how he speaks to you as well. And if it's not in either of these two, maybe it's the third thing is that you listen through a message that you hear, where maybe you've been practicing that selective listening all morning. Well, then finally, something clicks where you hear something, whether it's in the message or it's up on the screen or whatnot, but something just clicks in your life and you say, ah, it makes sense now. I understand. It's exactly what I needed to hear. See, that's God speaking through a message that he wants to say to you. And the last thing that I'd recommend is that you listen to God through steps of obedience, through when you have those moments when there's just this feeling inside, this inkling of your heart that says, you know what? Maybe you should pray for that coworker. Maybe you should get up and help that neighbor. Maybe you should help feed that homeless person. Maybe you should call that person that you said that you weren't going to speak to again. When you have those moments in your life where you just feel something inside urging you to do something, when you act upon those and you say, God, this is what you want to do. Speak into my lives. God blesses you. And what's even more, so much more cool is that it's in those moments that you're blessed, but he uses you to bless and speak to others because you become the wise counselor and friend to somebody in need. See, God is always looking for a way to speak. We just have to be willing to listen. And these are four very simple things that we can do just to listen. Are you creating moments that you can listen? Are you listening to the counsel of your friends? Are you having these moments you're listening to the message and you're engaging in the obedience that you know he is calling you to do? That's how we listen to God. And I encourage you to develop an ear to hear. And once you develop that ear to hear, you realize how difficult it is because of the busyness we live in. And that's why I think it's so important. The second thing that we learned from the church of Ephesus is that you can't hide behind a busy Christian life. You can't hide behind your busy Christian life. Look what it says in chapter two. It says, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance that you cannot endure evil men. You put to the test those who call themselves apostles. They are not, and you found them to be false. You have perseverance and you've endured for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. You see, these are externally motivated things of the church, and they were great, and God's commending them for them. He's saying, you're doing these amazing things in what you've committed yourself to. You're going out, and you're doing wonderful things in my name's sake, and people have come against you. You've been through trial. You've been through pain, but you've endured through my name's sake, and blessings to you. And if there's anything that we can take from the church of Ephesus is that they committed themselves to some very important things that we need to be committed to as well. The first one was they committed themselves simply to serving Jesus, to serving Christ. They were engaged in their communities. They were engaged in the church and they were working to spread the word of God. We need to be engaged in our community, in our family, in our body here at this church. We need to be helping with the offering or being part of the first impression team or praying over people or being in a C group, whatever it may be, we need to be connected. See, that's the sign of a healthy church when its body is actively involved in serving Christ. And the church of Ephesus was committed to this and we ourselves need to be committed to this as well. Are you serving? Some of you currently are, and I encourage you to keep on with that. 
And if you're not plugged into a ministry, I encourage you to get involved into a ministry. And there will be an opportunity for that at the very end of this series. But it's going to be an awesome moment where you can feel the word of God moving in your life when you're serving him. That's the first thing they did. The second thing they committed themselves to was the retraction of evil. You see, the retraction of evil is there was this discrepancy and this immorality that existed within the church of Ephesus. And the people saw this and they saw these teachers come in who claimed to be apostles and they taught a doctrine. And so they stood up and they said, we hear what you're saying, but it's wrong. It's false. I know that's not what's supposed to be taught. And they set up these boundaries, these walls and said, it will not take place here. You see, we as well need to be committed, especially in view of our world today, to the retraction of evil, to teaching the truth of the word of God in every aspect of our lives. And some of you are, you're engaged in teaching the children or the junior hires or the high school or young adults or even your peers. And I applaud you for that. And I, I pray that you continue steadfastly in the retraction of evil, that you prevent false words from coming into this holy place, just as the Ephesians did. But even more than that, we need to take it one step further. They also committed themselves to evangelism, where to going out and branching out of their local community. You see, a lot of us, we just come to Sunday service and we sit and we hear a message and then we leave and this is it. This is the extent of our Christian faith. At work, we're not really Christian. In our social circles, we're not a Christian. This is it. But we need to be committed to going and making more and better disciples of this world, of showing and sharing the love of God that is so desperately needed in such a dark place today. We have to be committed to serving Jesus, to the retraction of evil, and to listening to the evangelism that cries inside our hearts. You see, these are good things. We should be doing these things. These are amazing things that we truly should be seeking after everything in our life. And it's difficult because we are so busy that we cannot focus on these. We're so ingrained with our daily life that we find it difficult to do these things. And I know I've been there and it's tough because I had to take a personal evaluation of my life. And I encourage you to do the same thing, to truly assess where you are when it comes to first things first. What are your first priorities? What are you truly doing? How busy are you? You see, busyness is not a substitute for intimacy with Christ. And there's something I like to call the theology of work, and it's something that I struggle with, but I'm fascinated by. And the best example of this comes from the book of Genesis, where God creates the world, and it's this beautiful thing, and he looks back and says, it's awesome, it's beautiful, it's magnificent, but it's missing something. So then he forms man, he puts man onto earth, and he says, ah, it's wonderful, this beautiful creation, it's good. But he says, you know what? I still want to have this connection. So he comes to the earth and he's with Adam and they're engaging in fellowship and things are great. And he says, you know what? I want to do it even better. I want you to be involved in this process. I want you to have a part in something great. So you're going to take care of the land and it's going to take care of you. And I want you to work with me and let's name the animals, right? This one's a duck and this one's a beaver and this one's got a bill like a duck and a tail like a beaver and it's furry. It's called a platypus, right? Like it's like, ah, platypus, right? God and Adam joking. All these things, but they're so engaged in this fellowship. But somewhere down the line, humanity does this. Humanity moves over and becomes so focused on doing the work of God that they don't hear God saying, hey, let's take a break. Let's just step back for a second and let's fellowship. Let's have this relationship. And you're over here saying, no, God, I can't do that. I'm so busy focusing on the task that you have given me. God, I'm so ingrained in doing your work that I don't have time for you. See, this is the theology of work. 
the irony that we spend so much time focusing on doing the work of God that we neglect the presence of God in our life. How busy are you? When you truly start to look at it, I'm not saying you shouldn't be involved in ministry because ministry is fantastic and we should be doing these things. But if your focus is on ministry and serving all these things rather than building up your relationship with the Lord, something's got to change. Some priority has to shift. And the church of Ephesus, they knew this very well. They were a predominant church. They were a massive church during this time, a beacon in the land. All of the major roads led through Ephesus. And a lot of influential people would come and go through the city. They had amphitheaters. It was a very modern city, not like movie theater, but there were plays and activities. It was very modern, even had a Roman latrine system in it. But even in the midst of Ephesus, there was something else. It was the goddess Artemis. And the Romans knew her as the goddess of Diana. And she was the goddess of immorality. And in the center of Ephesus, there was this temple that was built up to the goddess Diana. And it was so magnificent. The people, they stood in awe of its size and its dominance. And it was one of the original wonders, seven wonders of the ancient world. And people were captivated by it. And they went into it, engaged in immorality and prostitution and all kinds of filth. And it became part of their lifestyle to where they couldn't get out of it. They were stuck in it. They were captivated and deceived by it. And the church of Ephesus saw this and they made moves into this community and they started doing events and preaching the word and trying to grab these people. And over time, they got people to step away from this temple and more and more people would leave. And eventually the sale of idols dramatically reduced. And by the fourth century, nobody went to the temple anymore and it was destroyed and never rebuilt again. And the church of Ephesus was excited. They were thrilled because they could stand there and say, we did event after event, activity after activity, and we engaged and we pulled them. And there are more Christians than there are pagans in this community now because of this work. But God says something very important that we need to hear to them. He says this, if you don't slow down, you're going to shipwreck your faith. Take notice of this. He says, that's great that you're engaging in these things. It's beautiful that you're doing these things. I commend you for it. But if this is your focus, you're going to shipwreck your faith. You see, the church that Paul had established, it was known for its love and for its steadfastness, but it was about to lose its preeminence and its place in its society because they had lost their focus. And that's the question that we get this morning is have we lost our focus? Have we truly lost sight of what means the most to us in our lives? Of what the number one priority should be in our lives? Are we just going through the motions serving Christ without actually loving Christ? It's a hard question for us to answer. I found a couple of quotes this week that I think help us identify the issue of busyness. Eric Hoffer said, The feeling of being hurried is not usually the result of living a full life and having no time. It is, on the contrary, born of the vague fear that we're wasting our life. When we do not do the one thing we ought to do, we have no time for anything else. Isn't this so true? So many things creep into our lives that take our eyes off of the number one priority. Charles Swindle says, busyness robs relationships. It substitutes shallow frenzy for deeper friendships. It feeds the ego, but starves the inner man. It fills a calendar, but fractures a family. Cultivates a program that plows under priorities. Many a church boasts about its active program, something for every night of the week for everybody. But with good intentions, the assembly can create the very atmosphere it is designed to curb. See, these are words that we need to take heed of. 
we need to recognize the busyness of our life and actively be willing to make a change. Be willing to make a stand here. We need to listen to Jesus. We need to recognize we cannot hide behind a busy Christian life. And once you do these things, you can go into the next step, which is to acknowledge that your first love is Jesus Christ. And this is the most influential and most important one that we need to take hold of. We must acknowledge that our first love is Jesus Christ. We've got to start somewhere. We need to say, Jesus is my first love. Notice what's communicated in chapter 2, verse 4. It says, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Notice the contrast between, in verses 2 and 3, there's this positive external thing. You're doing great deeds. You're commended for these things. But in verse 4, there's this internal condemnation, where he says, that's great that you're doing these things. However, you have lost your first love so significant. Jesus saying, you can have all these things and be doing thing after thing after thing, but they are nothing if you don't have me in your life. One of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis, he says, every Christian would agree that a man's spiritual health is directly proportional to his love for God. I think that's so foundationally true because if you love your, if you lose your first love for Jesus Christ, no amount of service is going to save your spiritual health. You need to have your first love directed back to Jesus Christ. It's interesting to note the word left is also translated as the word neglected here, and it means to leave behind or depart from something or someone. See, the decisions that we make every day, they either reinforce or they erode our love for Jesus Christ. And if we're replacing activity for this intimate, daily nurturing relationship with Jesus Christ, we are risking losing this first love. Even the Apostle Paul, he knew this when he wrote in Philippians, more than that, I count all things to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. See, Paul knew what was most important in his life. The word knowing, it literally means an intimate knowledge that is only learned through time and experience. And just as you would in a new relationship, are you creating time and experience and moments of opportunity where you can know God and feel his presence in your life? You've got to put first things first. So looking at all that as I close, what are the takeaways for this? What can we learn that Jesus says to us as a busy church? What are the applicable steps that we can take to truly start to change our lives? Well, we find them in Revelation chapter 2, verse 5. The first one he says is to remember. Remember what? To remember what it was like when you were first in love with Jesus Christ. How long ago was that? A year? Two years? Five months? Six years? A decade? To remember back to what you felt when you were truly sold out and committed to loving God and like nothing else mattered in your life. Remember back to that moment. You've got to start somewhere. And he says, it's important that you go back to that and you feel that joy once again. And then once you remember it, the second thing you need to do is to repent of it. You need to move beyond what caused you to fall. Eight times in Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus calls the church to repent. Well, repent from what? Repent from the sin. It's oftentimes a sin that has captivated us, that has so ingrown in our lives that we've lost this connection, this relationship, this feeling of intimacy that we've had with God. It's gotten so ingrained and rooted in our lives, we feel we can't get out. And Jesus says, you need to get rid of that. You need to give it up. But this is hard to do. 
This is one of the most difficult things that we have to do. And in Greek, this word repent is really translated two ways. The first one is the one that we identify with. It says to feel remorse for. Literally, it's to look to feel sorry or to feel remorse about something. And we do this. We say, God, I feel horrible about the sin. I'm sorry I did it. Now I'm going to go continue my sin. We keep doing it. There's no change. But the second one is the way that we should be repenting. And it says to actually change, to implement change of will and heart and action. You see, there's a huge difference here. One's a 90 degree and one's a 180 degree change. True repentance involves a true change of heart, not just saying you're going to do something. But once again, that's difficult. How do we do that? Well, I think David made it very clear in Psalm 38. He was struggling with things and he gives us the steps to repentance. And I love the way that he phrased it. And he says, there's four things you need to do to repent. You ready? He says this, you need to see it, you need to feel it, you need to confess it and abandon it. You need to see the sin for what it is in your life, to see the effect that it has. You need to feel that emptiness that it leaves you with, to feel the void that it's created. And then you need to confess that it's taken toll on your life, that it's captivated you, that it's got control of your life. And then once you have done that, you work with God to abandon it and you remove it from your presence. See it, feel it, confess it, and abandon it. That's how we repent. Not only are we supposed to remember, not only are we supposed to repent, but the third thing that we should do is to repeat. I like this one because we need to repeat the things that kept us from falling in the first place. We simply need to say no to sin. We need to stop giving in to the busyness and indulging in the things that we know we are not supposed to be doing. We need to remember and we need to repent and repeat these things. And notice what Paul says as he concludes in verse 7. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. You see, the paradise of God awaits those who have placed their first love in Jesus Christ. It awaits you. And it's so important we know that you have something great to look forward to if you keep your priorities straight in your life. So when we look at all this, what do you do differently? What are you going to do differently? What is one thing that you've taken away this morning that you can do differently to stay fresh with God? We need to have this personal evaluation of our life, of our busyness, of our priorities, and say, God, I am focusing way too much on this when I should be getting my faith back with you, my relationship strong with you once again. Are you truly assessing how you are doing? You've got to ask yourself, how am I at making Christ the first priority of my life? Let's pray. Father, as we just think about this, there is no greater love and there's no greater thing that is first in our lives than you. God, we move now from this place of study to a place of worship because we want to show you and tell you how much we truly do love you, God. We can't possibly do this alone. And we're so thankful that you have given us your Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. And you've enabled us to make that change because of who we are in Christ. God, we can. God, we can do it. God, we thank you. We thank you that you've given us this ability. And I pray that we would make that change of our life. That we would renew again our commitment to putting you first. Making you the number one priority. Getting back to our original love in our lives. We pray this in your holy name of Jesus. Amen.